G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The thoughts and opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast talks about domestic violence and death. It contains adult themes and coarse language. If you need help or you are affected by such issues, you can contact your nearest help centre, such as Lifeline on 131114 or DV Connect on 1800 811 811. Discretion is advised. You know, one time she drove up the road she nearly crashed into my fence and I run up and I said, oh, you all right? She's crying and carrying on and just leave me alone, just leave me alone. And I said, what's going on? And then when I turned around, there was a police car there. So I didn't, you know, I just let the police handle it from there. She deserves justice, mate, you know? She, he killed her, mate. There's no doubt about it. In my mind, you know, I... I, as I said, I can't say I wasn't there, but he did do it. He's just, he's gotten away with murder. I'm Jamie Paltz, and this has been on Valley Road. Episode 10, A Tragic Tale. Clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson says, life is a tragedy. So what does this mean? I think it means no matter how content or happy you are in life, no one is immune to tragedy. But it's in these tragic moments that great things can aspire. It's written throughout our history. It's what bands us together as humans. Are we all just players in our own tragic tale? Well, probably. But if we band together and help each other out, we can rise stronger. And if we can't, well, that's the real tragedy. In this episode, you will hear from Camel, who used to live a few doors down from Kira. I managed to track him down. There's also more of Katie's interview that I haven't aired yet, and you'll be hearing that as well. And I'm on the hunt for that white car. Alison's seen a few comments and questions pop up on social media, and she'd like to take the time to respond to some of those, and also to give a bit of a backstory about Kira. So she wrote up a bit of a statement. I called it up and recorded it. Here she is. Although I'm considered technically retarded, I have seen comments and posts that I would like to address. There are others that I don't know how to answer in the place that they're written, so hopefully this will answer some questions for some people. Now, firstly, if it seems like things are a bit all over the place, this is because this is still a current case, still under investigation. Jamie and Tom are finding things out for the first time and are therefore hearing things as they happen This story is far from over and you are getting things as they are coming out, not in any type of order like a story that has already unfolded. You also need to remember that those two boys started a company to tell my daughter's story. 
their compassion, integrity and respect are beyond reproach. And if their excitement seems a little over the top sometimes, that's because they're realising this is a whole lot bigger than they first thought and they are finding out information they never thought they would hear. But I won't say any more about them. I think my opinion of the job they are doing is already crystal clear. Yes, they're new at this. But to say their hearts are in the right place would be by far an understatement. What they have done has already changed my life and strengthens me absolutely every day. Now, something else I wanted to talk about um, is the song. Uh, there was someone who didn't like that we used a second song. Now, although this sounds like it's not important, it's really important to me. Um, Jamie and Tom had already organised to have this song for the podcast and it's their podcast, so they get to have what they want. And I did ask them to include the song Butterflies by Philip Brown, who, by the way, just won Entertainer of the Year on P&O Cruises. Um, he, Alison later told me it was actually the Princess Cruises he won an award for. Wrote and composed this song Butterflies, which I played at her funeral. We released Butterflies. It's very, very significant to me, and very symbolic of Kira. Um, so that's why there was a second song involved. Okay. Now, there have also been comments regarding like the backstory and details of the main characters. There are several reasons for this, but I will do my best to fill in the blanks. Also, please try to remember that although to some this is a murder mystery podcast, to Kira's friends and family, it is our life. It is what we live with every single minute or every single day. And believe me when I tell you, it is not an easy burden to bear for any of us, particularly her four children. Someone who knows Kira only is the subject of a tragic tale. I asked me the other day if she was colourful. Colourful, I said. She was fluorescent. Then when talking to my sister, she said probably iridescent was probably even more appropriate. People talk about the footprint people leave on the planet when they die. Kira didn't leave a footprint. She left a meteoric crater. And that's why I want people to know who she was, why I want her legacy to be not the way she died, but the way she lived. For those wanting backstory, I'll do my best, considering the restraints we need to work under. Kira was born as the only child to a single mother, me, I knew from the beginning that the assistance from her father would be absolutely minimal. Despite this, I completed my registered nursing certificate and worked hard to ensure she never had to go without the basics and that we did not ever have to resort to housing commission areas or accommodation. My mother, Bev Benson, and her husband, Eric, were incredibly supportive and were very close to her. My mother passed away when she was having her daughter and had just found out it was a girl and then my stepfather passed away six months after Kira died. It was just too much for him. We lived in the central coast area of New South Wales. At the time I thought we were struggling financially but you look at life with hindsight and her life was pretty exceptional considering the circumstances. I guess no matter how much you have there's always those things that are out of reach. Now, there are not a lot of characters in the story. Basically, apart from a few times, she decided to be a firefighter or in the SAS, purely because they didn't take women. Mostly all Kira wanted out of life was a husband who loved her and lots of babies. A big happy family like she'd never had. For a long time there, until maybe after her third, she was going to have eight at 18, she met her husband, who has declined to participate in the podcast. This is why his name is bleeped out and the names of her children are never mentioned. Out of courtesy to him, I will leave their details out of the story. She and her husband started the family immediately. And she used to say to me, you make sure people know that I didn't get married because I was pregnant. Now, the first baby did come along nine months later, but it was all legit. Now... Two other brothers followed, 19 months apart, but I knew she wouldn't stop till she got a pink one. So two years later, she had her daughter shortly after my mother had passed. 
Then after about seven years of marriage, she separated from her husband and apparently took up with Jason. She told me very little of him and did not mention any issues with him. We'd always been exceptionally close, ridiculously close, despite butting heads as any two strong women will do, as my mother and I did. So I never really even considered that she would hide anything from me. Then there is Jason and his multiple family members. Despite the fact they have some useful information, they're really not that important to the story. Before Kira, Jason had another partner, for Katie, for over a dozen years. Hearing what she had to say sounded eerily familiar, but knowing Kira as I did, she would have thought, but mummy, I can do it all by myself as she had told me since she'd been able to speak. Always so strong, so independent, opinionated, able, feisty, but just a little naive. Never in a million years did I or anyone who knew her think she'd come to an end like this. When I met Katie, she told me she had compiled some notes and comments on what she has heard on the podcast so far. I'll share those with you now. No, Katie was not there that night, but she's speaking from experience. Being with Jason for 13 years, she's got a bit of an idea. And also, she was a friend of Kira's. So listen carefully. I don't know what to make of that. Because she said that she was in two minds. Like, why would he pick... I've got nothing to do with getting children back. Why would he call me? Mm. But he picked her up. I don't know. So he picked her up with Kira to go back to her house. They went to court, apparently. Yep. He had court. After that, they went play pokies, had a nice lunch at a pub or something like that, went shopping. Then all of them, including the mum, Charlie and the niece, went to Beenham Valley Road, Kira's house. Yeah. Then after an argument and a fight, the mum had left beforehand, sorry. Then there was an argument, there was a fight. Yeah. Tamika called her mum, everyone left. Yeah. And then sometime later, an hour or two later, turned on his own, Bobby and Nakoda dropped him there. The rest is what you've had on the podcast. Yeah. I honestly don't know what to make of that um because it may have happened it may not have happened because the day before i had planned to escape when kira had actually gone down to the gold coast to his older sister nikki's place now shit hit the fan there for some unknown fucking reason i think nikki's eldest daughter had friends over or whatnot guy friends obviously and being the protective uncle went off his nut at his niece's guy friend and then his older sister Nikki's gone off at him and rah 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 and then apparently him and Kira had a bit of a blue and then they've left and come back to the Sunshine Coast. He ripped down, he ripped open the fucking shed door that I had tied shut with auxiliary leads, two sets of auxiliary leads, a thick chain and uh, an electrical cord he ripped the fucking door clean open With, well while you and your three kids while me and my three kids were inside i was still awake this is this, that incident right there is exactly why i did not fucking sleep five weeks that was on the last fucking day of me being on the sunshine coast and i was actually on the phone to my husband my now husband <laughs> and um i thought i hung the phone up he heard everything He'd ripped the door open. He'd ripped the door open. Going off his nut. I just need a hug. I just need a friend. I just... I'm like, no. You've just... All three kids were up screaming their fucking heads off because they'd just been woken up to this. He's like, I just need a hug from a friend. Nothing more. I'm like, dude, I'm not fucking touching you. I do not want anything to do with you. I'm not fucking touching you. No. You're off your fucking head. I swear to God, he was more than just drunk because his eyes were just fucking wired. Like, wired. He was on more than just fucking alcohol, that's for fucking sure. And I've told him, no, you've got to go. Just leave. You're not welcome here. You don't fucking live here. Fuck off. And he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't go. So I've yelled out to his fucking mum. Said, can you please call the police? She's yelled out the window, I'm calling the police. Fuck off. I'm calling the police. About five to ten minutes later, he, vent- he eventually fucking left. I got the kids to calm down, lay them back down. Um, they couldn't sleep without some sort of light, so 
I have a light on. Uh, the TV ran all night long because that way they had light. Uh, found my phone because I just sort of threw it down. Found my phone and realised I was still on my phone to this one. And he's, poor thing's fucking scattering his brain trying to figure out how the fuck can he get somewhere in less than two hours. And then the next day we escaped. <laughs> Pretty much. Glad you did. And so am I. <laughs> I think he's more happy that I bit my pride and actually spoke to him again. Because <laughs> yeah. I hate I hate asking for help. Yeah. That's another reason why I went through it for so long and all the rest of it was I did not want to get anybody else involved. I did not want anybody else to get hurt. And I I felt it was my own fault. You know, my fault for fucking believing his bullshit lies. My fault for keep letting him come back and all the rest of it. And which is part of the cruelty, isn't it? Having your being your fault, which is not true, obviously. But, but yeah, that that that's how it felt to me. Mm. And I've always been the protector. Mm. I've always tried to protect everybody else. I still do. <laughs> so yeah. The dead dog that was mentioned would have most probably have been my eldest son's dog. That. Um, his mum come to my place on the Gold Coast. I had to make a living with me at that point. Uh, would have been around November of 2013. Tamika had two dogs. I had two dogs. Um, and her two dogs were getting quite aggressive and all the rest of it. So, and I was still in that mental state of vulnerability. So, mum said she'll take my dog Rudy for a couple of weeks and then bring him back, which obviously never eventuated because I got a phone call from saying that Rudy'd been run over. So that's most probably the dead dog that's been mentioned. Now, Evelyn's explanation of him just being, uh, he would, I, I know he wouldn't have just been physical. He would have been verbal and sexually abusive towards her as well. Yeah. That is, that's him, that, that, that's him in a nutshell. If you don't give him what he wants, he will beat the fuck out of you, call you every name under the sun to get what he wants. He will manipulate you and say, okay, that's fine. You don't want to give me what I want? I'll go elsewhere. I know so many others that'll give me what I want. He scared the living fuck out of one of Tamika's friends back when, would have been about 2006 or seven. He scared the living shit out of one of Tamika's friends because she was staying with me. Because I wouldn't give him what he wanted. So he goes, fuck it. You won't give me what I want. I'll go and fuck Tamika's friend. Tamika and her friend barricaded the bedroom door so he wouldn't. I believe he would have had poor Kira manipulated to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. And in all honesty, if I did not fucking change my number because he was constantly harassing me, I probably would have been able to fucking help her because she probably would have called me. Um, when I left, his mum had a dark green dual cab ute with a canopy. can't really remember the make and model, I think. It was a Ford Ranger. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it was a Ford Ranger. Okay. Older model. Yeah. Okay, my recollection of what Dad told me may be a little incorrect of persons that were there. Yeah. But all other recollection is correct to what he told me. Um, yeah, with it's not an animal anger or anything like that. It's straight out psychopathy. Yeah. Straight out psychopathy. I know they don't have enough viable evidence but due to his history the circumstantial history the evidence they have from his past isn't that enough <clears throat> why is that not enough yeah, um the threats the yep. threats that um evelyn was talking about that kira told her about mm -hmm. yes that is him to a t that mm -hmm. is what he does he will beat you down, break you down. He will threaten anything and everything you love. He will destroy your possessions, everything to break you. Manipulation 
is his big thing. Manipulation, yep. mind games, gaslighting you. Right. Um, quite a few times even he tried Stockholm Syndrome yep. with me. Mm-hmm. Trying to... You know yeah. how they try to be the friend but not the friend? They Yeah. So there was that. Okay, my theory as to what probably may have happened is that... Well, the two neighbours reckon there was no gathering. So if there was no gathering, they would have been home alone, probably had no drugs or alcohol, or Kira wasn't giving in to his sexual demands. So he would have went into an all-out rage, all rage, fucked up severely, would have hurt her to the point she may have lost consciousness. He would have then called his mother and probably would have went to someone's house, someone that they know to compile an alibi and then they reckon, as the neighbours believe there's a car rocked up the next morning that may have been I believe it would have been him and his mother going and checking the scene and using someone's car? Yeah. If you think that she had a green ranger Well, yeah They saw a white car a white looks like a Commodore, mate. Yeah, so, Damo said Commodore and Evelyn said so a little white car, but she is 300 metres The only away. person I know that had a white Commodore at that stage would have been his younger brother, Bobby. He loves his Commodores. He, ha- he n- never hasn't owned yeah. a Commodore. Um, and he and his mum would have returned in the morning to find Kira in the state she would have been in. See, now, I don't understand how the court would see Damo's evidence as being a, a, it's it's there he heard what happened so isn't that viable I, I believe it I've, it's evidence straight hmm. out um yeah Kira is a fighter she stands her ground so she wouldn't have been she wouldn't have taken his shit she would have stood up to him yeah so yeah I do believe she would have thrown shit at him to yeah. defend herself hmm paint can or something that was everywhere fuck yeah I admit it I stabbed him four times out of defence out of self defence for my fucking life um he uses intimidating tactics Mm -hmm. he intimidates you so that Sean talking about when he called him over to the fence and stuff and he's talking you know what Sean believes is calmly and all the rest of it no no He's he's meticulous with what he does. And I'm, yeah. Stuff smashing and banging may have been curious for trying to use objects to defend herself against him. Damo remembers the time of being about 9.30 being the full-blown physical altercation. So, going by Tamika's alibi, that's around that time as well. Yeah, because I asked they Damo. may have already left Hmm. but you never know now the phone call by that Damo overheard more than likely most probably 99% sure would have been to his mother Hmm. it's the one person he runs to whenever he fucks up Hmm. because she believes the sun shines out of his ass he does no wrong so therefore if the two neighbours don't believe there was a gathering or anything like that the family's banded together and they're fucking covering it up it's a cover-up. And they provided me with a lot of stuff, though, too, which is which just makes it, you know, like Tamika's met me and what I thought was even involving herself, you know, implicating herself by saying she mm. hit her four times and all that sort of stuff. And She'd be saying that to save his ass. So the blood-curdling screams and shit would have been Kira in pain, mm. in absolute agony. He would have been in a, he would have been in a psychopathic rage just to hurt just to hurt her. Yeah. That's all it would have been. White Commodore Sedan, possibly his brother Bobby's, possibly his mum's. So Not his, sure. So his mum might have got a She may have changed her car. Yeah. Not hundred percent sure. Yeah. See, the car I remember uh, Kira having was I think a white Nissan Patrol, older style, probably GQ model. Yeah. 
and it was petrol gas. Yeah. Um, what about one of... Um... Back in about June of 2014, my family, my family and I were visiting my mum and we had to go in town for some food. We nearly had a run-in with and Kira. Lucky it was only myself and my husband. We had just parked the car and we've gone to walk in and I've seen and Kira in a golden... Damo mentions an X-Trail or a Pajero or something like that. No, it wouldn't have been an... What's... It was a Hyundai, I'm pretty oh, sure. Okay. Four by four. He does say it's a Whatever. Whatever the fucking Hyundai 4x4 is called. I can't fucking remember. Santa Fe? No. No, it wouldn't have been a Santa Fe. May it have been the Honda? I don't fucking know. Car. I saw them in that car, yeah. And my husband and I just walked, because we were just getting something for dinner and some drinks. We've walked in, and I was still emotionally vulnerable still yeah. then. I was fucking shit scared a lot of the time. So we've walked in. We were in Woolies, getting some food and stuff, and then we've walked out, and he just looked like he was on the fucking hunt for me. He he saw it was me, and he just he was on the hunt for me and my husband, and yeah, and we managed to evade him. So that may have also escalated the problems between him and Kira, unfortunately. That was June. I'm pretty sure that was June. Of 2014, yeah. You can't blame yourself. Yeah, but I still do. I still do. I tried to warn her and... She didn't want to listen to me. And then the statement about the sugar pills. I I honestly don't... Buy that. I don't really buy that too much, no. Because... He is a massive drug addict. So he would know. He would know that that was not a fucking... In half an hour he's not feeling anything. Exactly. And then how I remember Kira, I remember as an energetic, charismatic, loving, caring, beautiful, just... (laughs) She's just... Always had a smile on her face. If someone else was down, she'd try and make sure they were happy. And I think the reason I saw that was because... I was in that state myself. You're highly depressed, but no matter how fucking depressed you are, you want everybody else around you to be happy and smiling as well. Because that that makes you happy. Seeing everybody else happy makes you happy. Recently, I spoke to Camel. Now, his voice is deeper than the Atlantic, and sometimes the signal on the phone drops out a bit. But bear with us. You will hear in this conversation that I beep out two names. It's Kira's ex-husband's name and Jason's real name. So if you get confused, it's either one of those. Yeah, um, Camel. Um, formerly lived at uh, Queensland, uh, Burnham Valley Road, and uh, now I'm in New South Wales. Back mining. So how did you know Kira? I knew Kira when... Uh, while we lived there, I was married, and uh, we had a property there, and I um, got on good with Kira, both of them, and uh, they were good friends. I used to go up and have a few beers with him, and that he was only not far up the road, probably oh, 200, 300 metres. And Kira's, this is Kira's ex-husband? Yeah, ex-husband. And uh, I knew... Had the kids and that, but uh, got on really good with them, and yeah, so we hit it off. We're good friends. Um, how I came to know about you was because Sean, yeah, that you he, he called you his uh, Kira's savior, um, that you would that she would go there when she needed yeah, she, help things, or things got things too hectic at bad. home, she'd, you know, or she'd drive up there and um, she was uh, sometimes in the state or whatever, you know what I mean. The bloke yeah. who she was with, not but the other bloke, giving her a hard time or something was happening. Which uh, did you know him? I didn't know him. I um, 
I did I didn't know him personally and I didn't want to know him. He's a grub. How often would she come to you or Oh, it just depended. It could be just um, you know, one time she drove up the road and she she nearly crashed into me fence and I'd run up and I said, Oh, you all right? And she's crying and carrying on and just leave me alone, just leave me alone. And I said, What's going on? And then when I turned around there was a police car there. So I didn't, you know, I just let the police handle it from there. It wasn't a good situation. But she but she came more than once to talk to yeah, you? Or? Yeah, yeah. A few times I'd seen her when she's been distressed. Did she confide uh, in you at all? Uh, not really. She was very um, standoffish, if you could say, but I think she thought I might have, she might have, she was safe with me. Like if something happened that I was there, which I would have been, you know. So. <clears throat> did you ever but, see uh, any? Did you ever see any bruises or any, any marks on her? I I didn't see actual bruises or marks on her and that, but I saw her in distressed state sometimes. You know what I mean? Like he was very. Um, he's he's just the type of person that. Uh, how can I describe him? Um, I think he was into drugs and all that sort of stuff. I, I told him once, if he ever comes to my place, look out, you know what I mean? The thief. Um, not, a, not a nice person, anyway. Did um did Kira tell you about him at all, or did she? No, not really, not really. I heard a, I heard a bit of, I know doesn't want to get involved, and I can understand his point of view. I think uh, wants to move on with life. And you've spoke to her recently, have you? Or? I do. I do keep speaking. Yes, I do. Yes, he every now and then he rings me up. Because and... I, I would, I've, I've left him alone out of respect. I did send him one text message uh, on Facebook, just asking yeah. if he wanted to talk to me. And I've... I think, I think it's hurting him too much to go back there. He's got a, a, a lovely girl now. Um, he's bringing up them kids really good, and I think he's just. He just doesn't want to go back to that part of his life, if you can understand what I mean. I think it just hurts him too much. Yeah, well, I mean, I've never been in that situation, so I'm not going to pretend to know what it's like. No, but I, I know that, you know, and I, you know, he just doesn't want to have, just doesn't want to talk about it. And I can understand his point of view, you know. Yeah, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of... Um... No, I understand, and that's why I agreed. I've been down here, I lost my other job, got retrenched and... And uh, so I've got this other job. That's why I haven't messaged back. And I was a bit wary myself because I've left my part. But I thought I had to talk to you because, you know, I think it's only fair that she gets justice. And I honestly think that he did do it. And everybody knows he did do it. But I don't know why they didn't charge him with it. Yeah. I just don't know. Because he's not a nice person, mate. He's... He's a very um, controlling person, and uh, and all I could see in him is all he was in for was the money, and uh, whatever he could get, grog or drugs. I think you know that was the way it was going to be with him. Grub, sorry, did Kira did Kira tell you that that he was after just money and drugs, or did she? No, she never. She never really complied him because she knew I was. Um, she knew I didn't like him, and no one in the street liked him. So, um, and that's true. No one did like him. You know, it was. Uh, he never spoke to anybody. He was very. Uh, what could I say? Yeah, that's what I say. I think he was uh, drug fuck. That's what I think. You know. So. Did you hear any any rumours or anything about what happened that night? Oh, I heard. I heard that. I heard that him and his sister was there. Because that night, I heard something. I heard, but I often heard screaming and carrying on up there. I didn't know if they were partying or. And then that night, I did hear something, but but as I said to the police, I said, "Look." You know, and every time if I went to go in the yard, she told me to get out of the yard. Like I couldn't walk in the yard, you know. 
Cause, uh, oh, you you went there a few times, and she would tell you to go. I uh, well, I went. You know, I was at Brody's next door, and um, you know, they'd be carrying on, and then Brody said, "Look, we're trying to help her, but every time we walk in the yard, we're trying to tell us to get out." And I'm just standing there, and you couldn't go in there because they said, you know, virtually get out and call the police or whatever. You know, I don't know. It was just, it was just very mixed up. You know. So would you say that Kira as a person, when she was with um, her husband and you were hanging out, was there a major difference in her personality or her demeanour once she got shacked up with um I, I, I really do. There, there was like was a good father to his kids and good to her too, you know. Um, and uh, they bought that property that over there and, uh, yeah, it's a different sort of, because I didn't really even talk to her after that. After she spent with, with uh, I didn't even really talk to her because only time I talked to her is when she'd come up, you know, if she was in distress or whatever, and I think she just kept coming up there because she knew I was there, and that's what I really think. What she knew that wouldn't come up there, you know what I mean? Because I built the shit out of him. <laughs> so, so that night you heard screams? I did. I heard screaming and banging like tin, like banging. But um, I can't. I can't say. I heard it many a time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like because that that was when the time when had the kids. Thank Christ he had the kids. Yeah. And even I don't know if the bus driver wants to get involved, but um, anyway, he was telling me, but. I don't want to say too much, but the kids, some of the kids didn't want to get off the bus if we was there, you know. Really? We go there. So, you know, I was um, I was a bit distressed about it, uh, about it all, but you, 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 I don't know, you know, I couldn't do anything. And, and the police have spoken to you? Yeah, police have spoken to me, detectives have spoken to me. Well, the only reason I was very reluctant to do it, but I'm... She deserves justice, mate, you know. She – he killed her, mate. There's no doubt about it in my mind, you know. I, I, as I said, I can't say I wasn't there, but he did do it. And um, he's just – he's gotten away with murder. So um, as far as I'm concerned, mate, you know, and apparently he's in jail again now. Yeah. So um, uh, that's what Alison was telling me, and I thought, well, if that ain't enough, well, what do you have to do? He's going to kill another woman. He's a, he's a, he's a, he won't, he won't, he won't um, front a male, mate. That's I can, I can work him out. He won't. He's a gutless wonder. No, whoever he can get over, he'll get over. You know, and uh, that's that's right. You know, that's the way I look at him anyway. So, um, you know, and the, and the brain injuries that she suffered, like, come on. Like, I don't know why they didn't cure her. I just don't know. I just don't know. It's just very, very strange. You know, she's lying there for 12 hours. <laughs> and that and it made me feel bad. That's why it's bringing up bad things because, um, someone to lie there like that and then die, it's just that you couldn't, you weren't there, I felt bad because I couldn't do anything, I didn't know, you know, no, she'd have still been alive today. No. How did you, how did you find out Well, she died? I drove, I drove, I drove past the next morning, there's two ambulances there and then, um, so it was I, the morning, not the afternoon? Uh, oh, I think it was the morning. Oh, whenever the ambulances turned up, whenever someone found her or something went on, or I, I, I'd say it was the morning or the afternoon, I drove past. I just saw two ambulances there. I didn't right. know what was going on. And I just kept driving. I went home and then I found out, I think, of, um, I tried to ring. And then, uh, yeah, actually, he told me. What was going on after that? Yeah, was, um, yeah, very, very sad situation. Well, yeah, mate, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me, and um, yeah, no worries. Yeah, well, cheers, Camel. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, in relation to this white car, Evelyn told us it was a small car, a small white car, she believed. And Damo told me he thought it was a white Commodore sedan. They both saw it. My question is, whose car was it? And what were they doing there? So firstly, I'd call Sam, who picked Tamika up. If you remember from episode 6, I spoke to Sam and Nakoda. Sam was the friend of Tamika who came and collected her that night. I called her and asked her what car she drove. So you drove your car? Yes, I drove my car. And, and what did you drive then? Uh, I drove a Toyota Camry. Oh, yeah. It that... was unregistered at the time because I remember doing the whole thing unregistered. I was like, oh, gosh, <laughs> things you do for your friends. <laughs> and what colour was that? It was red. Red. So you had, to, you had to drive an unregistered car up there to get her? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew she wouldn't have asked if it was something that, you know, wasn't important or, you know, she really just wanted to get away from there. Yeah, so I figured it was something, you know, that she should get picked up for, so... <laughs> I had to clarify with Nakoda about what car Bobby and him took Jason back to Kira's place in, and also what car did his mother drive. Nakoda's mobile signal does drop out a few times, so it's a bit hard to hear in a few parts. You said that you got you and Bobby, your brother, yep. drove who we're calling Jason um, back out to Beenham Valley Road, Kira's house. Yeah, my brother. Yeah, me and my brother Bobby dropped. We drove him back out to Beenham Valley. Um, whose car did you drive? My brother Bobby's, his car. I didn't have a license at the time. Okay. And what did he drive? Um, not sure if he had his Saab then. It could have been his Saab. If it wasn't his Saab, it would have been a blue Hyundai Elantra. Little, um, hatchback thing. But I'm not a hundred percent sure. If he had his that point in stage, I'm pretty sure he may have. Because um, his son. yeah, his car got ridden off, and he got reimbursed for insurance. Oh, Bubba, you're you're right. Yeah, don't try and climb up your car. Ninety percent. It was the it's a navy blue type color um sub. Okay. And the other car was a blue Hyundai. Yeah, it was, more, it was a dark blue, but more on the um, glossier side, like a um, sort of lighter but dark blue. Right. I'm not sure the 100% name for it, but yeah. Okay, cool. Just trying to put the pieces together. Yep. And so your mum, what was her name again? Jane. Jane, yeah. So she... Picked everybody up, including Tamika and Charlie and Jesse. Yes. And your brother. Yep. Up from the house. And she was there that afternoon. Yep. What car did she drive? Um, car did she have at that point in time? It would have been, um, just trying to think, I'm pretty sure it was her... Dark green Ford Raider, not 100. Okay. Um, Do you know anybody who's owned like a white Commodore sedan? White Commodore sedan. Um, I know we used to at one stage. Um, oh, sorry. Yes, that would have been my mum's white Commodore sedan. She did. She had a white. VY Commodore probably around the same stage because she sold her Ford Raider and got, uh, I'm pretty sure it was BZ white stock wheels, all that stuff on it. It was just a, uh, but yeah, she's right. the only one I know that had a white 
Commodore sedan at that point in time. No one else in our family did. Because yep. or Jason had called you in the morning, you, you said between 6 and 8 a.m. Yep. And said, can you have a listen to Kira? She doesn't sound right. What should I do? You told him to call an ambulance. Yep. Then did your mum tell you that he then called her? Yes. Yeah. And um, she said the exact same thing as what I said to him. Why, why are you calling me for? You should be calling an ambulance, not a doctor. And so she didn't go. She didn't like go out there then. No, no, she didn't go out there then. And you saw her that morning. Like, did she tell you that he called she her? She stayed at. She stayed at my brother Bobby's house with me, and um, Tamika and my niece Jessie. And then the next morning, she got up, had a cup of coffee, and everything. And then she ended up, I'm pretty sure she ended up taking, um, which is. Sorry, say that again. She ended up taking and then you cut out. Oh, sorry. Um, I'm pretty sure um, after my mum broke thing I told her, uh, I told him, she ended up taking uh, my niece, Jessie, and my sister, and they were at the top. They were living down this area. Back down here. Sorry, it keeps breaking up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. 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 So um, she ended up driving my niece and my sister. Driving um, your niece and the sister back down to Brisbane. Yeah, they were living down here at the time. Um, so my mum, the next morning they woke up, had a coffee, had a talk, all that, and then she ended up getting my niece and my sister back down and got a lift into town from, I don't remember who, but he got a lift into town from someone out those ways because he needed to get to the hospital for Kira and then he went to go up to the hospital and apparently Kira's family was stopping him from being all that. Right. Sam said that she took Tamika and... Her daughter back. And just like that, the phone call dropped out. It couldn't have been at a worse time. And I haven't been able to get a hold of him since. Believe me, I've tried. Let's refresh our memory. Where did Sam say she drove Tamika that night? Where'd you pick um, Tamika up from? Um, from her, I think it was her other brother's house. I, I'm not too sure. I didn't actually go in. But um, it, yeah. Okay, so you yeah. picked her up early hours in the morning yep. and then... Yeah, her and her um, niece, Jessie. Okay. And Charlie. I believe her daughter was there as well. And where'd you go from there? Um, so I went back to, I think it was her her ex's place, Charlie's dad's place. Right. Is that, is that Gimpy? No, no, no. This is um, down in Brisbane. Right. Uh, so we came back down. Yeah. So Logan Village, I think it was. Yeah, we either went to her sister's place first or, or to... Um, yeah, her ex's place. It's important to note that I called Nakoda and Sam long before I aired episode 8, in which the white car was mentioned. It's Saturday the 12th of October, 2019. It's a fairly rainy, thundery day, a few storms about. And I'm doing a drive-by past that house that Nakoda and Tamika and Sean have mentioned to me which is a location that I did censor. But I'm going to go see if I can speak to Bobby, which is Tamika, Nakoda, and Jason's brother. The one that allegedly drove with Nakoda to take Jason back to Kira's house on that July night in 2014. Right, arriving. So here we go. It doesn't really look like anyone's home. If this is the right place, anyway. Well, there's clothes on the line out the back. So I got a small, a small fence. One of those wire fences you can see through. Um, fairly decent backyard. 
And it's all been locked off. They don't want anyone in there. There's no cars in there. It's like a little makeshift, don't come in here, tie wire thing all the way around the fence, holding the gate closed. So whoever's house it is, they don't want anyone in there. Just going to go into this next door's house. Hello. How you going, mate? Hey, how are you? Hey. Just wondering, do you know who lives next door? No, I know her name is Liz, but that's about it. Oh, okay. I'm just looking for Bobby. Bobby. Yeah, do you know a Bobby? No. I've been here almost two years and I've never heard of a Bobby. No. Okay. So, you can try. Well, I don't know. I don't like. I know she's got a partner, but I don't know what his name is. I know her yeah. name's Liz, but you can always try. How old do you reckon they are? She'd be, I don't know, anywhere between 20 and 30, maybe. All oh, right. Cool. Is anyone home there today? You reckon? I have no idea. I know she gets picked up a lot, so yeah. I don't think she drives, but you can always try and just knock yeah. on the door. And... Yeah, so you haven't met him? No. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. Okay. All right. Thank you. So there's no lights on inside. There's no car there. And they've got some sort of makeshift security fence where they've tie-wired some chicken wire type stuff around the perimeter of the house. Just to make it difficult to get in. It doesn't stop you, but... Anyway, I really don't know. The neighbours never heard of a Bobby. They've been there for two years. The house on the other side is selling, so no one's there. It's just hard to know, really. That was the number that I was given. But yeah, I don't think anyone was home. And given the fact that the neighbours hadn't even heard of him, doesn't mean he's not there. Could keep to himself. And last I heard, that wasn't his partner's name, Liz. Anyway, he had a different. He had a different um, partner, from what I've been told from a few sources. I've sent messages to both Tamika and Nakoda, asking to put me in contact with their mother, Jane, and so far, my messages have gone unanswered. I've also sent Jane a message on Facebook, which, you guessed it, it's gone unanswered also. Back when I met Tamika at the Umundi pub, she sent me a five-page handwritten statement from her mother. Now, it was just a photo of a notebook, so some of it was pretty hard to decipher. And I had Kylie, Tom's wife, read it out for me. It may not be word for word, as some of it was pretty hard to read. Pay attention. To whom it may concern, I, Jane, state truly from my own recollection to be true the following events, leading to the untimely passing and sadness of Kira. I, Jane, mother of and Tamika, was asked to go to the Beenham Valley Road property to clean and prepare to take over property as and Kira planned to leave Gympie in pursuit of a better life from her ex and her mother. My daughter and her daughter, Charlie and my older granddaughter, Jessie, were up visiting. Kira and had been shopping the day before. It was a beautiful day as I pulled up and everyone was there. As I walked into the house, my first time being there, I thought, shit, this is going to take longer than I thought to clean. Anyway, I proceeded after. Say hi and everything to my children and Kira. In saying that, Kira was very agitated and upset as she informed me her mother and ex had taken off together with the kids and she was trying to get them back. I proceeded to clean the bathroom. Music was playing and basically I was head down, bum up. It took quite a while and then moved to the kitchen. Kira was drinking and was drinking beer mid-strength. So I took a break, had a beer and a smoke, even though I had given up smoking. Kira was on the phone to her solicitor about her children and a DVO that was put on her ex-husband. 
As some weeks earlier, he had seen her at the Pomona Shopping Centre and had dragged and thrown her across the car park, and nothing was being done about it. Charlie was playing with dolls that Kira had given her to play with. was sitting just outside the front door. Kira was still on the phone with Jessie in the lounge room, and Tamika was on the back veranda on the phone. The kitchen was an awful mess, and I kept cleaning for about an hour. Then I took another break, had another beer, and started bopping to the music. Jess, Charlie, and I were dancing in the lounge room. Kira joined us, went down and got another beer, and kicked Jessie's drink, smashing the glass. Kira yelled, that's the second glass you've broke, and we cleaned it up quickly, so Charlie mainly and the dogs don't get glass in their feet. After that, we continued dancing and laughing. Then Kira looked at me and said, you are so beautiful, look at you. I felt very uncomfortable as Kira and I did not get on at all. She was unpredictable and had done things in the past I certainly didn't agree with. I really must admit, as she continued to say these things, I stopped and listened to her all about the things her mum had done, sleeping with her boyfriend and basically she was a horrible person and that her mum and ex were together. That was the first time and last time I actually looked at her and thought, what the hell have they done to you to make you this way? Not that she was a lunatic, but a deeply hurt soul. We sat down. Kira went to get a drink. Charlie had gone back to playing with her dolls when I were just out the front door. As Kira came back, Charlie asked Kira to help her with the dolls. Kira became agitated again and snapped at Charlie. I'm not your fucking mother. I watched as Kira walked over to us and said that wasn't nice and she broke down wanting to desperately contact her babies. She was getting very upset and I said that mummy loves them but ring in the morning when she hadn't been drinking. I started packing up my things and proceeded to head home. Had given me some beers and I was going to call it a night. About an hour later I got a frantic phone call from my daughter and Jessie saying get us the hell out of here ASAP. There was a lot of screaming so I raced down to my car and got another phone call saying hurry they were going to start walking. Kira had gone nuts. I don't actually remember driving but was on the road when I saw Tamika, Jess and Charlie. They hopped into the car hysterical to get. Kira had a baseball bat. Charlie was beside herself and Tamika wouldn't leave without So I turned into Beanham Valley Road and got just around the corner when jumped out of the bushes on the left-hand side but wouldn't get in the car with the girls as he thought he was covered in blood. Is hep C. So we moved everyone over and told him to get in. It was pretty scary for Charlie and Jess being the youngest. We all freaked out, but they were worse at the time. Tamika just kept saying, oh my God, she just wouldn't stop. We finally got back to my place, got Charlie settled and went on to find out what had happened. Tamika went to the toilet and was bent over in pain. Kira had hit her in the stomach with a paint tin. She also had a lump on her head. So I got Panadol, gave them to her and started going over what had happened. I was told after I left, went down to the shed. Kira stayed upstairs with the girls. Her mood was increasingly changing and she started telling them how she was sleeping with the 17-year-old next-door neighbour. Tamika reminded her that was her brother, but she wouldn't stop. So Tamika went down to the shed to and asked him to pull her head in. Tamika came back upstairs first. As she got to the top, Kira hit her over the head with a heavy chain. They then proceeded to get into a scuffle. When tried to break them up, Kira ran at Tamika again while she was trying to get Jess and Charlie out. They fought again and Tamika knocked her to the ground. And as she was getting away, she rang me hysterical, come and get us ASAP. There was a lot of screaming from Kira in the background and she went for Tamika again. Got her away, but there was a baseball bat and Kira went after with it. The girls got away to the next road, Veristale, I think it was, where I picked them up. But as I said, Tamika wouldn't leave behind as Kira had a baseball bat. So I turned into Beanham Valley Road and jumped out of the bushes and we finally got him to get in the car. We all went back to mine. Tamika, Jess, was so shaken up that Tamika got a friend to drive up in the early hours to take them home. Stayed with me and his brothers, Nakoda and Bobby. But Kira just rang and rang and rang, wanting to go back after a couple of hours. Asked me to take him, but I said wait till morning when it calmed down. But Kira kept ringing and got his brothers to take him. Apparently everything was okay. The bedroom curtain moved. Everyone just thought it was Kira. 
and as his brothers drove out the dogs, chased something down the side of the house. Couldn't see what it was. When they got back, rang and said Kira was asleep on the mattress in the lounge room that they'd put down for Tamika and Charlie. But all was good, so we all went to bed. I had to go down to the Gold Coast the next day to my mum, and about lunchtime on my way down, rang, saying Kira had taken tablets and had wet and pooed. I told him to get her walking or moving around and ring an ambulance and give her a shower to wake her up more. When she was put in the ambulance, I was told she was coherent and kept saying to them and showing them the tablets as far as I know. They weren't interested and said lucky for she didn't have any in her throat. That was a shock because it implied they thought had shoved them down there. My daughter Nikki and I rang the hospital quite a few times trying to find out if she was okay to no avail. No one would tell us anything. I had my mum in the car when police wanted to know if I was still in the same car. I went to Kira's in and I said yes with my mum. We met them at Nikki's place and then I drove mum home and went to Beanley Police Station. Nikki and I had finally got through to the hospital and they were flying Kira to the Gold Coast University Hospital. But she didn't get there till late as the chopper dropped a known life-threatening patient to Nambour, refuelled and then took Kira... So in saying that, and it taking so long to take her there, we presumed she was on the road to recovery and sighed a sign of much-wanted relief. At the police station, it was very intense. My heart was pounding and wasn't at all sure of what the hell was happening. After what seemed a lifetime, the police informed me Kira's mum was turning off life support and Kira's organs were being donated. What the hell just happened? The police left me alone and I felt cold, numb and a sadness so overwhelming. This is not what I thought was going to happen. They weren't rushing. She was going to be all right. Then I felt angry. What mother turns off life support after one day at the Gold Coast Hospital? Who would do that to their child? They couldn't even wait longer. I was in denial. Why was her own mother not in denial? The hope. The wanting miracles. How can they donate her organs? She was hep C too. My family hadn't received any answers either. All I know is what has been said. And her family want answers. We want answers. But most of all, no matter the truth, the whole truth must come out. To put this poor girl at rest, we are all suffering. Yours truly, Jane. So, Alison, just in response to Jane's statement that I had read out by Tom's wife, is there anything you wanted to comment on? Well, there's plenty I'd like to comment on, but I would like to maintain some form of dignity, so I won't. Um, I think basically her response to the whole life support situation, um, she really doesn't know what she's talking about and she's desperately trying to cover up the fact that the baby boy she raised has turned into an evil monster. So, yeah, I guess she's saying stuff to try and get him off the hook or whatever, that's fine. I, you know, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not that bothered by it now because I just, I don't know. I I think it's just her trying to make up excuses. But obviously her saying like, you you turn the life support off way too quick, you know, she wasn't there and no one can really comment on that until they're in that situation themselves, right? Kira was brain dead when she got to Gympie Hospital. The only reason they kept her alive was to salvage her organs, which could not be salvaged because he had deliberately, by lying to her, given her hep C. She had been an avid blood donor. She wanted to be a surrogate mother for her friend. She wouldn't be able to do either of those things with hep C. But he kept saying, you can't get it through sex. You only get it through needles. And she wouldn't listen to me. It's also responsible for the people who needed those organs that day. And what about the comment that she alleged you sleeping with her ex-partners? Yeah, not even worth the dignity of a response, Jamie. So it definitely didn't happen? Uh, No. I don't know if you realise I'm kind of an old wrinkly woman. Like, you know, these things just aren't going to happen. Don't be so hard on yourself, though. Well, you know. You can't lie about age, can you? So you would have noticed in Jane's statement, there was no mention of going there or a white car. There was no mention of attending Kira's house the next morning. So really, where does this leave us? I just don't know. 
Do I think someone's telling porkies? Yeah, I do. To put it bluntly, all these stories can't be true. So what happened? It's quite possible that Jason's mother, Jane, did have a white car, a white Commodore, and it's just as possible that she attended Kira's house the next morning with Jason to assess the situation. And if that's true, well, doesn't that just throw a spanner in the works? And if you guys know anything or think you know anything about Kira's case, contact Crime Stoppers or head to the Gimpy Police Station. No matter how big or small your information might be, it could be very helpful. Got myself a piece of heaven. Boon and Valley Road is a 610 Media production. This episode was written, recorded and produced by myself, Jamie Poltz. It was mixed and mastered by Johnny Powell. Our theme song, Peace of Heaven, is by Pete Allen Music. You can find him on all social medias and download his music wherever you listen. Our cover art photo was taken by Joel Poltz. You can head to our website, www.610mediagroup.com to look at pictures and read our blogs. Also, check us out on social media at Bean and Valley Road for Instagram and Bean and Valley Road for Facebook. And please, guys, don't forget, give us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen. It really helps us out. So thanks again for listening, guys, and stay tuned. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.